Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. I am your host for today, Nick Sigelski, and part of the reason today is so, so special is that I am getting to interview my wonderful co-host, Armand Farouk. Now, it seems he's actually learned a thing or two about sales in the past hundred or so episodes we've done of 30 Minutes to President's Club, and why you might want to listen to this one is, I think that a lot of salespeople obsess around discovery and uncovering pain and matching their solution to that and spin selling and gap selling and challenger selling even. And here's the thing. That stuff is all very, very important, but a lot of sellers stumble and fumble around managing the mechanics of navigating a deal. And so if you want to learn how to set not just next steps, but next, next steps, if you want to figure out how to get on the same side of the table as your champion with prep calls and making sure that they're briefing their teammates, if you want to figure out how to nail your next big group demo where you've got like eight different CXOs in the room, you may want to give this one a listen. Three, two... One, Nick interviews Armand. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. 
Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. All right, Armand. Welcome to the show. I hope you know that we start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's hear your three. All righty, folks. Number one is called the five-minute drill. At the end of every call, not just your discovery call, you're going to end it with the five-minute drill. Here's what it sounds like. You're going to ask three questions. Number one, do you want to buy this thing? Before you set a next step, you need to ask, based on what you saw, do you want to move forward explicitly with our solution? Number two, when do you want to buy this thing? If it were free, when would you actually make a decision? And then number three is how? And the key thing is you must tell them typically how someone would buy from this point on. You don't ask, you validate the how you buy. Beautiful. What's number two, Armand? Number two, this goes to the how piece, which is called next, next steps. So once you get to that third question, do not just set a next step. Hey, let's do a 60 minute deep dive after this. You do not give away anything for free. And that includes demonstrations. And so if your next step is a 60 minute deep dive, the next, next step is typically an executive level meeting. That's about 30 minutes with a chief people officer or a chief finance officer or a CEO, right? And so set a next, next step, which sounds like, well, look, typically we would do a 60 minute meeting. If that goes well, you and I would walk through a proposal and then we would run that by your chief people officer afterwards. Does that sound like a plan? And make sure that before you agree to the next step, there is agreement on the next, next step. Very nice. Round us out, Armand. What's number three? Number three is let's say you got to that meeting with a CFO, for instance, and it gets into a negotiation tussle. What you have to do is you need to create a cost to negotiation. And what that means is if you have to give a concession, we'll talk about what you do before you give a concession. But if you have to give a concession, never give anything away for free. So if someone wants a discount on future year pricing, an example of how you can create a cost to negotiation is you can make it a whack-a-mole game where I can decrease future year pricing, but that means you're gonna pay more upfront. And what that does is it stops the bleeding in a negotiation and it creates a cost where everything they ask for, they must now give something up. So eventually the battle stops. Well, very nice. So let's take us all the way to our very first meeting with a champion. Let's say you're meeting with someone who's like a, a director level person. This person isn't going to be able to get the deal done, but they do have enough political clout that they can help you get to getting a deal done. You've put on your very best shirt, Armand. You've done your research. You boot up the Zoom. You come in and you let them enter from the waiting room. How are you kicking that meeting off? Great. First meeting, we have a director level person. I would consider this person to be at the line. Okay. So this is a good thing in my mind. Typically, you start with a little bit of rapport. I'm not the most talkative guy. I like to use targeted rapport. 
And what that means is I'm taking something relevant around their background. It might be a role change. It might be the fact that they're new at the company. It might be the fact that they've been there forever. And I'm using that to start to insert my point of view in the conversation. Oh, wow, this is the smallest company you've been at before. You must be doing a million different jobs, et cetera, et cetera. Once that rapport is done, usually two or three minutes, I tend to jump right into my agenda. I use the Doug Landis method of PPO, purpose, plan, outcome. And the key thing that I want to do, folks, is a lot of people are over-obsessed with discovery. And discovery is important. Don't get me wrong. Think of discovery as the ignition in your car. It allows you to drive forward. Your agenda and your last five minutes of the call are your steering wheel. That determines and makes sure that you're driving in the right direction in the first place. And so I'm going to set the beginning, middle, and end direction of the call. And so, Nick, it might sound like this. Look, Jane, the reason that we're on this call is you know, really the purpose here is to figure out if we can help you at all. That's the purpose, okay? The plan. The way we're gonna do that is before I just jump into the software, I sort of have to understand how you're doing X, Y, Z today to figure out exactly if we show you something, what we show you, and if there's even a problem to solve in the first place. Great, that's the plan. That's how we're gonna accomplish the purpose. The outcome. At the end of this call, look, you'll have a good sense if we can help you or not. And then typically what we would do is we would loop in your CFO, for instance, and we would do a deeper dive on the actual how we can solve the problem. In other words, it would typically be some sort of demonstration. Does that sound like a plan for us? So what I've done is I've told them a couple things. Number one is I've told them I'm going to do discovery on you, right? And the goal of this meeting is to figure out if you even have a problem that we can solve before I show you any sort of software. So you don't start itching for me to show you a demo. And then what I've done is I've also planted the seed that I'm going to ask you to multi-thread at the end of this call. And if you disagree with that, I'm going to get to know about that right now. And we're not going to waste our time up front. Can we talk about that scenario, Armand? I mean, the first two are not tremendously, I don't know, contentious things. No one's going to be like, oh, I don't want that to be the purpose of the call. And the plan that you laid out, you're like, hey, to get you the thing that you want, which is to see software, I kind of got to figure out how you're doing things right now. So I don't think you're going to get a lot of pushback or resistance on those. Where I see somebody getting tripped up is the person saying, hold on, hold on, my CFO and slowing that down or resisting there. Can you talk about if there is resistance to the multi-threading ask up front, how you navigate that conversation? Yeah, and so I always like to ask often and early, right? And the key thing is it's probably not gonna be a, yes, I would love to do that right this second. But what I've done is I've now planted the seed. And so let's say I get a bunch of resistance up there. I'll be like, look, totally fine. I completely get it. Oftentimes what happens when buying a product like ours is people are really excited about it and there's already some sort of budget for it. And so you wanna make sure that we get the right people involved early as possible. It sounds like this is gonna be a little bit more of a, hey, let's make sure that you're super comfortable for, with this thing and your team is super comfortable first and then we can go take that step together afterwards after we've done a deep dive between you and I. Does that sound like a plan? We can talk about this later. I think we're laying the cart before the horse a little bit and but I wanted to give you a sense of like what folks tip do. And so I'm not backing down, to be clear. The only thing that I'm doing is I'm inserting a micro step in between that's saying, hey, I'm going to get you and I on the same page first. Actually, I think you're right. But by the way, we're still going to take that step together. And if you disagree with me, we can talk about that later. So what's really interesting about what you're doing here is you are setting the upfront five-minute drill that you're doing. And then you're also having that conversation on the back half of the 
uh, meeting that you're in. I like the way you described it as the steering wheel, right? And I agree with you. We're not going to go tremendously deep into every little nuance of the questions that you ask and the order that you ask them in the discovery call. But one area that I've struggled as a seller before Armand is I recognize that that first meeting, there's really two big things you're covering. One is, can this thing help you? Like the, the value sale of what you're selling. But then there's also having a conversation around the process of what this evaluation or buying cycle is going to look like. And you've got to have a somewhat measured balance of the two of those. In that first call, I know you're not going to get every little nuance of the pain and the impact and everything that you need from a discovery perspective to get the deal closed. Can you talk to me about like your philosophy on when do you stop doing discovery on the process and showing software and get into talking about the logistics of the deal? Right. So my perfect first 30-minute discovery call flows a little bit like this. Is It's a five-minute agenda plus rapport. It's about 15 to 20 minutes of discovery. If it makes sense, there's a five-minute demo, if it makes sense. And then there's about five minutes of next steps, aka the five-minute drill at the end. Here's how I know I've done enough discovery. Or in other words, the way you can invert it is here's what I must need to know to be true before I am allowed to show software. I must have a hypothesis that based on the information that I had today, if I took one or two more calls with this person, based on what they've told me, they would buy the software. And that might mean they've gushed their heart out on all of their pain points in the first 10 minutes, and I don't need to do more, okay? And so ask yourself before you go into the demo, that question is, if this were to keep going in the same direction that it's going for two to three more calls, would they buy? knowing what I know today. Most of the time, the answer is no, okay? So I know that's like a sense check question. Let's get a little bit more tactical on how you actually do that, okay? I'm gonna use my company Pave as an example. One of our products is a total reward statement. And what that does is it allows people to understand not just what their salary is, but it's their equity, their salary, their benefits package, but then also model out the upside of their total comp package, okay? And where a lot of people will stop is you typically ask the initial situational questions of what systems are you on? Those are qualification questions. And uh, how are you communicating equity today? And you get quali- you get situational answers. And then oftentimes you get a problem, which is my employees don't understand equity. And people get excited and they start to, start to show software at that point. That is not enough. What I need to understand is the so what behind your problem. In other words, is I need to get one big thing that hits the P&L of the business. And so what I need to get to is I need to get to my employees don't understand equity. And for that reason, it has come up in multiple exit interviews where employees are leaving due to compensation. In other words, you need to get one deep business impact and tell one story that shows people that you can solve their problem. And that's your cue when you are then allowed to show software. Okay, so let's drill into that question right there. You're on a discovery call with me and I drop, you know what? My employees just don't understand equity. How do you get from I've made that statement to then me realizing or articulating I'm losing employees and I'm figuring that out in exit interviews? Here's how you don't do it. Nick, has that resulted in high attrition 
or Nick, our employee's leaving because of that. And you know why? Is that makes you get defensive. But that is unfortunately the question that I do have to ask. But here's how I can ask it in a way that sounds curious and interested from Mr. Mulbauer. Is I'm going to be like, Nick, we see this all the time. Usually you don't like just wake up and think, you know, today, like my employees really didn't understand equity. Could you give me a sense of like, was there a moment that this came up? Did it come up in exit interviews? Did it come up in, you know, an NPS survey? Like, how did you actually like come to realize that employees didn't understand equity? Okay. So that's the first step is I need to get one data point. And it is nearly impossible, Nick, to answer that question without a specific story. Okay. Usually what you'll give me at that point is you'll say, oh yeah, I came up with one manager whose top performer was about to leave, or it came up in an exit interview here, or I just get peppered with a million questions and don't stop there. Cause now I have one deep data point, but again, that is one data point. And so what do I need to do is I need to figure out if that's just one data point or if it's a million data points. And so the follow-up question to that is, shoot, Nick, I'm going to tell a story, empathize that I see this all the time. This happens a lot. I do a lot of massaging in my discovery so that you feel like I'm not just interrogating you. And I'm going to be like, sometimes this is just a one-off thing, right? And it's not that like widespread of an issue. Was this an isolated case or what you were mentioning earlier is it sounds like this is coming up a lot. Is this like, is comp-related attrition like a big percentage of the reason that people leave? Or is this some, something that's coming up left and right? Or was do you feel like this is just one of those one-offs that can be handled individually with that manager? And nine times out of 10, if I've done the right discovery before, I figure out that comp-related attrition is one of the biggest issues that they're losing people. Two things I want to highlight that you are doing for the audience. One, your goal is to get them to tell you a story. And what you're doing is you're actually using a variant of what you and I call typically language, where you're saying, hey, like, did this come up in an exit interview? Was there an uh, employee NPS survey? You're actually prompting them with ideas that typically come up. And that can help them make the connection to get you to the story. You're not just saying, when did you realize and making them do all the work of thinking? The other thing that you're doing that's really powerful is you're also sense checking your deal with that second question when you ask about, is this an isolated incident? Because if it is, this is going to come out in your deal and you probably don't end up having a deal if this was just a one-time thing that a director is looking to solve. This has to be almost a systemic business issue that you are helping to solve. Powerful stuff that you're doing. Let's sort of fast forward a bit, Armand. That meeting's gone well. You've had your next demo. You're starting to multi-thread within the organization. And you get to a common stage that a lot of sellers have, which is the big team demo. You've got six pages of notes. Your heart is thumping because you've got some CXOs in the room. Talk to me about what you do to make sure that you nail that big group demo. All righty, folks. So here are some critical assumptions that people make going into this big team demo that lead it to fail. The first critical assumption and probably the most terrible assumption to make is you assume that everyone knows what you do. I'm not saying 
is on board, right? That's actually what most people do. Like most people assume when you get onto the call, oh, these people are excited about my product and they, they've been brought up to speed by the champion. They, we assume that they've been prepped by the champion. Nine times out of 10 folks, especially if it's a big room of five plus people, that usually means you're dealing with someone who hasn't really bought software before and they've just thrown five people onto an invite and maybe half of them have looked at your website, okay? And so that is one key thing that you need to break down on the front end of the call. Number two is they assume that the big team demo is in fact a demonstration, which it is not. It is a validation of the key problems that you've learned in discovery, and it is rediscovery with executives on that call, okay? And so on that basis, here is how you run that call. I'm going to give you a four-slide flow that I use for every single big team demo. There are four slides that I use every single time. The first is it's an introduction and agenda slide, okay? And that introduction and agenda slide includes all the faces of all the attendees there. And the reason for that is I don't believe in doing one by one introductions. Instead, what I recommend is you introduce your side and your champion introduces their side. Because the moment you do the 10 person, hello, my name is Bill, I run the finance department for 10 people, no one wants to be on that call and you've burned 10 minutes, okay? This is Nick, this is Jane, this is yada, yada, yada. That's my team, who's your team? Great. The second thing is on that slide, have your champion introduce the call, okay? Have them kick off the why we are here. Do not kick off the call yourself. You need to force them to set the stage on why you're here. That's your introduction. From there, the second slide is you're going to recap the key business priorities and the business problems that they wanted to solve. And this is all before you talk about your product whatsoever. These should be able to stand alone. These are just the things you are trying to do without a product. If a product didn't exist, this is what you're hoping to accomplish. Then you have one slide on how you solve that problem. And then you have a fourth slide, which is all of those assumptions might be wrong. I'm curious, what do you actually care about as it pertains to compensation? So that's your four slide flow and it gets them talking immediately and it calibrates the room on key priorities. Are you preparing the champion in any way for the call? Like, because you're sort of having an unconventional intro, you're asking them to do some specific things. What's the prep look like for that meeting with your champion? So this goes back to the five minute drill, which is at the end of the previous call, which is either a discovery that went really well, or it's a 60 minute deep dive that leads into the quote unquote big team or the exec team demo, right? At the end of that call, I'm setting up what's called the champion sandwich. And so what that would sound like is, look, typically Jane, uh, you're the director of people ops. We're about to go into this meeting with your CPO. Uh, you and I would get on the same side of the table. And I want to make sure that all the problems that you and I have discussed solving here, I want to make sure that we knock it out of the park for that room. And the reality is, well, you've given me some really good stuff. There are going to be some new faces in the room, and I want to make sure that we make you look really good here. Would you be against doing a prep call for that meeting right beforehand? And then maybe we can just pre-schedule a debrief after the call so I can get your feedback. They'll never say no to it. This is also the best time to get Digits, cell phone number. Be like, awesome. Sometimes it's helpful to call you right before the meeting. Could I shoot you a text too, just so we can get out an email? Every single time, you'll get it. If you have good rapport. You do that prep call. There are a couple things that I always need to know in that prep call. The first thing I need to know 
is who is on the call. Obviously, specifically, I need to know their titles. And then the second thing that is probably the most important thing to know is I need to know what do they want to get out of the call, right? What do they care about? And I'm basically doing discovery secondhand through my champion. Like, what does a CFO care about? What's an example of a software that they've blocked in the past? What was an example of a, of a tool that they were super excited about in the past? When AEs run demos for them in the past, I'm curious, do they tend to be the type of person who gets really annoyed if they get asked a million questions? Or do they tend to want to jump in with a million questions? I want to know everything humanly possible around how that person desires to receive discovery, right? And then the third piece, which answers your final question, Nick, which is, have you gone and explained why we are here today to them. And if the answer is no to that, I always say, hey, I'm gonna give you the slide that we're gonna use on the front end of the key priorities that you wanted to solve for and the key ways that we can solve your problem. Would you mind pre-walking them through this just so you can calibrate up front and we're not starting from zero? Because I would hate to jump onto that call and they jump on and they're like, hey, I don't even know what you do. Can you help bring us to stage three and catch them up to where you and I are in the sales cycle? I've got one more question for you around multi-threading and the five-minute drill, because I understand the five-minute drill with your champion, where it's like at the end, you're figuring out, all right, where do we go from here? Are you happy with this, et cetera? I feel like if I've got now meeting with one group, demo with another group, I'm having conversation with my champion, am I doing the five-minute drill when I have the permissions and integrations meeting with the analysts analyst? You do the five-minute drill at the end of every single call, okay? And so let's talk about what the five-minute drill would look like at the end of a big team demo. This is probably the toughest five-minute drill on the entire call. And the reason it's tough is because you usually have five-plus people on the call. And what it would sound like is, look, Nick, Jane, Sean, this is the first time that you guys are seeing everything PAVE has to offer. But what we've done is we've recapped all the conversations we've had with your director of people, Diane, here, and given you a sense of like where PAVE fits in as it pertains to some of your key business priorities. And you've also gotten to see how we can solve your problem. And usually at this point, what you'd have a sense of is, is PAVE the right solution to be able to like help you solve some of these problems? And so before we talk about next steps, before we talk about cost and pricing and all this stuff, like, can I just get an independent opinion from you all and get a sense of like, how do you feel about what we showed you today? That's if it's a room of like three or four people. If it's a room of five plus, I need to ask that question specifically to the key executive buyers in the room. And so if it's a room of five plus people, I'm gonna identify the two or three that really matter in the room beforehand with my champion, but then also just what I know about who makes decisions, right? And I'm going to target that question specifically at the economic buyers, okay? And then I still go into the when and the how, right? I inform them of the timeline that we've already agreed upon with our champion. And I say, are there any blockers to that? I wanna get the blockers out up front. And then I explain the how, which would oftentimes be in getting executive sign-off to engage in a procurement process offline with the champion. I'm not making them do all of that, but I'm getting them to sign off on the process of what I'm going to do with their team afterwards. Armand, this has been a fun interview. I never get to interview you. We're running out of time. We got to move to the final question. The final question is this. We've talked about a lot of shoulds, things salespeople should be doing. 
I'm going to ask you about a shouldn't. So the last question is this. What is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that they need to break, shatter, and quit because it's hurting them more than it helps? They mistake selling activities as revenue-generating activities, okay? And what that looks like is they give things away for free. They give the demo away for free. They give a proposal away for free. They give everything. They give multi-year deals away for free. They keep giving things. And the reason for that is they justify it because it's like, oh, I had 10 customer calls this week. And to me, if you've jumped onto a second call or a third call or a fourth call with the buyer and they haven't explicitly told you that you are the vendor of choice or that we believe that you can solve problems for us, that they have not yet earned the demo with you. That is the key mistake that people make is they think that having more calls is better. And I believe having more of the right calls is better. And you should do as much as humanly possible to make your customers do an equal amount of work as you, if not more work in the sales process to opt back in to buying your tool. And if they don't, you know where you stand in your sales cycle and you should go focus your time elsewhere on other deals. Beautiful. Armand, thank you so much for joining us. And everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with RocketReach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Your top four actionable takeaways from this wonderful episode with Armand Farouk. One, never walk into a big group demo without having a prep call with your champion to cover who's going to be in the room, what do they want to get out of this meeting, how have past demos gone well or gone awry, and do they have context? Because if they don't have context, your champion better give them context. Two, make sure you connect the thing that you sell to something that actually hits the PNL. It's not enough to hear from your champion, well, my employees don't understand equity. You need them to connect that problem, not understanding equity, to a real business outcome or failing, I suppose. Number three, you can connect the thing that you sell to a real business outcome by getting the customer to tell you a story of how this impacted them. You might say something like, well, gosh, I can't imagine you woke up yesterday and said, I need to request a demo with Nick because this is a problem. I guess 
Could you tell me about the moment when you realized this was something that you needed to address? Number four, ensure the problem that you are solving is not just a one-off isolated incident. You've got to ask, is this something that's been happening frequently or is this just a one-off thing that could get handled on its own? If it's a one-off, you probably don't have a deal. So this is the part of the show where Armand would say, oh, Nick, how can people help us out? And I would answer that by saying, oh, follow us on LinkedIn or subscribe to the show. But unfortunately, Armand has left the studio. And so no one is here to ask me how people can help us out. So instead, I'm just going to say some nice things about Armand, because for those of you who don't know, he puts in a ton of work to make 30 Minutes to President's Club happen. The guy is literally a VP of sales, and he's in back-to-backs all day. So he puts in a ton of work early mornings and nights and weekends. He and I do a lot of planning for 30 Minutes to President's Club on Saturday mornings and I want to say thank you to my wonderful co-host for all of the hard work that he puts in to make 30 Minutes to President's Club possible. And if you would be open to sending Armand a nice message on LinkedIn that said, Nick told me to say that I kind of like 30 Minutes to President's Club and you're not such a bad host, I bet that would make his afternoon and make him smile. And I do want to make Armand smile despite all of the, uh, the jokes that I make about him. So an ode to Armand. There it is. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.